we sing a song like that, Christ alone, that he's our cornerstone. Uh, the, the language of him being a cornerstone's uh, biblical language, it was kind of this idea that when they would when they would go to lay out a building before they had all their tools like that we have now, they would take a cornerstone and then everything would be built off of that. And so to make sure the building was square and make sure everything was in its correct shape, everything would be framed based off of the cornerstone. And uh, uh, for Christ to be our alone, uh, like Christ alone, like I don't know if we, we often think about that, what it means for Christ to be our alone, for him to be our only thing, for him to be our everything. Uh, I think for me growing up, and Micah talks about this a lot too, um, as you hear him talk more, he'll, he'll share these kinds of things with you. But I kind of grew up being taught, you know, that you put God, you put Christ as your first priority. And, uh, and one of my favorite things that Micah does is he talks really well about how, how Christ isn't your first priority. Christ isn't your first thing. He's your only thing. And when we come to the place where we believe that, where we really say that Christ is everything, that my whole life is wrapped up in Jesus, he's not just, uh, he's not just you know, for this day of the week or just for this time, like, it shapes how we do everything. Uh, this is our last Sunday to do our Bible Stories series, and, and I'm excited, I've really enjoyed it. I, I could probably do another two months on just like some of my favorite Bible stories, but I'm super excited about what we're going into for September, and I'll just give you a really quick teaser. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk for the next month in September, we're going to talk about what it means to, to have joy in God. I, I grew up kind of in a really somber, very serious kind of church culture where I felt like being joyous as a Christian was kind of like taboo, you know, like everybody was like uber serious all the time and super solemn, and they just, have you met, like, people who call themselves Christians but just seem miserable every day? And, and like, man, it just doesn't have to be like that, you know? Like, there, there's really joy in God. There's really grace in God and goodness in God and blessing in God and pleasure in God. And so uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that for the next month, and, and we will talk about that from the standpoint of what it means to have Christ as our cornerstone, what it means to have Christ as the foundation of our life, that we're finding our joy in Jesus. And uh, I'm looking forward to a month on that. But today we have Noah and the ark, and we're doing Bible stories, and here is what we have on tap for today. Our theology today is this, God makes a way to be saved from coming judgment. God makes a way to be saved from coming judgment. That's our theology. Our application today is this, trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. And our prayer today is a prayer of thanksgiving. God, we thank you for salvation through Christ Jesus. When we talk about that God makes a way to be saved from coming judgment, when we're looking at the story of Noah, you're going to find the story of Noah in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 primarily. 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're not going to read all four of those chapters obviously this morning, but Noah was about 500 years old, and uh, for some of you, you're going to go like, man, that's crazy, and so there were a lot of people in the Bible who lived for a very long time, and uh, some people, it's interesting because like the oldest guy, here's your point of trivia for when you're playing Bible trivia with your friends this week, okay? The oldest guy in the Bible was Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old, and so whenever you hear somebody say, man, he's as old as Methuselah, what they mean is he's very, very old, 
All right, so Noah was about 500 years old, and he had three sons. They, he and his wife decided to wait a while before they had children. Uh, like Michelle and I, we didn't wait very long because we were already older when we got married. But Noah, you know, he was like, man, babe, we're only 200. Uh, we can wait a few years before we have kids. And, uh, and so they had three sons about the time that Noah was about 500 years old. Now, when, when Noah was 600 years old, God sent a flood upon the earth, and somewhere in the midst of that time, okay, so here's kind of the rough timeline of it, 120 years before God sends the flood on the earth, he's checking everybody out, he's seeing the whole earth, and he's saying, man, everybody's just wicked, like people are just wicked all the time, and he goes, I'm just going to wipe them all out, and he goes, I'm going to number their days at 120 years. Now, there's this little verse right there in Genesis 6, it says that the Lord numbered man's days at 120 years, and some people think that that means that God has decided that no one would ever live to be older than 120. But for the next thousand years in the Bible, people are living to be older than 120. So that can't be what God meant. Okay? Uh, I think what God meant when he said, I'm numbering men's days at 120, he's setting a timer for when the earth will be destroyed. I'm going to destroy the earth in 120 years. Sometime in that 120-year time frame, we know that Noah's sons are already growing up. We know that they're already married. Sometime in that 120-year time frame, God comes to Noah and he goes, Hey, just want you to know I'm going to send a flood on the earth. And uh, it's going to kill everybody. It's going to kill everything that breathes. And I want you and your sons to build an ark, build a big boat. It was a football field and a half long, a football field wide, and about three stories tall. And God told Noah, I want you to build this ark for the salvation of you and your wife and your three sons and their wives. And so Noah complies and he builds this ark. The Bible in Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. We don't really know what that means, but what some people think that that means is that while Noah's building this big boat in his backyard, essentially, right? Like, you can imagine uh, that if I set out here in Dove Creek and began to build a boat the size of a football field or one and a half football fields long and a football field wide, people would begin to notice. And it's not going to be done over the weekend. Uh, in my head, again, Ryan's version of this, in my head, they probably didn't have fences. Um, I'm thinking of like Wilson from Home Improvement, always looking over Tim's fence for those of you who know that reference. But I'm always wondering what Noah's next door neighbor thought uh, as he looks over the fence and sees this big ship being built in Noah's backyard in the middle of a desert. And he's kind of like, hey, uh, what you building there? Well, I'm building a boat. Why? Well, because it's going to rain. Now, I will tell you that some people argue that it had never rained on the earth to this point until Noah's flood. I don't think we can make that case. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, talking about Adam and Eve, says that at that point it had never rained upon the earth. But we don't know that it, it didn't rain for the next 1,600 years. And so it could have been another, you know, we don't know. But uh, at any rate, Noah tells these people who are asking, hey, what are you doing here? At some point, it becomes obvious, you know, like maybe when he has his first workbench out and, you know, he's got a couple of hammers and saws. Maybe at that point, people are like, oh, I bet he's building a shed or something, right? But eventually, it takes boat form. And eventually, these animals just start showing up, like just... I've always wondered what the guy, like, sipping his latte, you know, or his coffee, or, his, you know, reading the morning paper, and here comes some camels, and here comes some giraffes, and here comes some lions, and he's like, man, what is going on? And they're all headed to Noah's big boat in his backyard. And, and Noah does this for however long it takes him to build it. Now, remember, God said, I'm going to 
I'm going to number the men's days on the earth at 120 years. Sometime later, God comes to Noah and says, hey, I need you and your boys to build a boat. Noah goes, done. They build a big boat, and now it's time. We're seven days away. This is now chapter 7 of Genesis. We're seven days away from the storm coming, from the rain coming. And God tells Noah and his family, you guys get on the ark, you and all the animals. And I'm just wondering what people are thinking at this point. Now, again, some people will go, well, you know, everybody was panicking because they'd never seen rain before. Maybe, maybe not. But this was definitely something different. And Noah and his family, Noah and Mrs. Noah, we don't get told any of the wives' names in this story. So Noah and Mrs. Noah, and then Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, Mrs. Shem, Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth, uh, all get on the ark. And then the Bible says that God closes the door and seals them in, which is a really kind of cool story, you know, like... Um, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like visually, but I kind of imagine, you know, Noah going in and he's there with his family and then like the door just begins to close and they're kind of like, well, all right, you know, and like, but like now they're safe and they're secure. And then for the next 40 days, the Bible says that not only does it rain, but it says that the floodgates of the heaven and the floodgates of the earth, the springs of the deep are opened up. And so like water is coming from both the earth and the sky, and it floods the entire planet in just 40 days. For those of you who are going, man, that just seems a little bit, you know, I don't know. You know, when was the, uh, when was the big thing in, down in Humble? Um, like the big, was it a hurricane three years ago? The hurricane that brought all that rain? So we have a, we have a church that Michael works at a lot down in Humble, really good friends of ours. And, and the, the church kind of, kind of sits up on a, a little bit of a hill, but as you go towards the, the highway, there's a dip. And so like these buildings, like their best buy and stuff had water up to the top of the building, 20 feet up. The church that set up a little bit higher only had water about eight to 10 feet deep, something like that throughout the entire bottom of the, of the building of this, this church. And that was like three days of rain. You know what I mean? And so like, and that wasn't even the, the floodgates of heaven and the floodgates of earth being opened up. And so like, so it, uh, if you grew up in, in or around Midland, they, they keep trying to fix the streets. When I was a kid growing up in Midland, all it had to do was rain a little bit in the afternoon, and people would have their, have their floaties and stuff out, not like their arm floaties, but, you know, like their mats and stuff, and be riding, literally riding the, the, the waves through Wadley. Uh, Wadley, like, just doesn't drain. It's a street, you know, and, like, people would be out there riding the current through Wadley. And so, like, it doesn't take much, but for 40 days and 40 nights, the floodgates of the heaven and the floodgates of the earth are opened up, and the Bible says that the water covers the tallest mountain up to about 20 feet. It doesn't cover 20 feet mountains. It covers the tallest mountain by 20 feet. And then, and then the rain quits after 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, But 110 days later, so it's been 150 days now, 110 days later, the ark strikes Mount Ararat and stands fast on Mount Ararat. We've been five months into this story. Everybody outside the ark is dead. I wonder a little bit how people felt day one when the rain started coming and the floodgates burst open. And they're like, uh, you know, maybe he had something there, you know, like. And at what point, uh, it, it, I, I pay attention to really stupid things. Uh, one of my favorite things, and I, I couldn't even explain to you why it's visually pleasing to me, but one of my favorite things was when my kids were little and I'd be getting a bath ready for them, I would just dump all their toys that they were, like, we had a big bag that was like suction cups to the shower wall, and they had all their toys in it, their bath toys, and I would just dump that thing into the bath, and then I would turn on the water, 
And all those toys would kind of float, you know, and as the water would rise, they'd kind of float to the back of the tub and they'd keep getting pushed to the back of the tub. And then finally there'd be enough water. And then the whole surface of the water is just covered in these toys. And, and so I imagine this ark, you know, it's heavy, it's big, it's a football field and a half long, three stories tall. At some point, the water gets deep enough. It would have to have been up the side of the ark significantly before there was enough uh, lift on the boat. And then the boat lifts and it kind of finds a resting spot and then it lifts again. And I'm wondering what people are thinking as they're moving to higher and higher ground as the ark hasn't quite broken free yet and then it breaks free and it sells off. And the people of the area are climbing to higher and higher ground and then they're done, it's over. I had to be a little bit unnerving. And yet there was a preacher of righteousness who for a number of years, we don't know how long, but for a number of years had built this thing essentially in his backyard. People knew what God had declared. People knew what God was going to do. They knew that there was a way out and they didn't take it. Noah and his family were on the ark in total for a year and 10 days, a year and 10 days. So it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It took them another 110 days before the ark quit floating around and stuck on a mountaintop. And at that point, it's 150 days. And then it's going to take another 170 days before, uh, no, more than that, uh, 200, 220 days, sorry. It's going to take another 220 days before they step out of the ark because they had to let the flood go down and they had to let the land dry up. They're on the ark for a year and 10 days. In total. And when we, when we, they played cards or something, you know. I mean, all the Wi-Fi towers were destroyed, so they couldn't stream anything anymore. So, yeah, had pony races, you know. You know, like dared each other to stick each other's hands in the mouths of the lions. I don't know, you know, whatever it was, you know, like, so, like, it was three sons and their wives, you know, like they probably, I dare you to jump off the top, you know, I mean, like, they, who knows? We, we don't know what they did for a year and 10 days. <laughs> probably, probably were just very, very grateful that they weren't some of the dead ones. You know, I, I've always said, you know, like so many, and I'm not meaning to ruin this for you if this is you, but like so many people paint their like children's nurseries and stuff in Noah's Ark theme. And I've always thought, man, like, if you did that for real, that'd be incredibly graphic. You know, you'd have all these bloated corpses of animals and people all floating around the ark with the rainbow overhead and the giraffes looking out, you know, like, hey, you know, there's Larry, you know. And so, like, uh, uh, it just it's very, very dark. And while we can chuckle about it a little bit, the truth of the matter is death and judgment were coming and God made a way for his people to be saved. He warned the righteous and he said, look, there's a way for you to be saved in this. And he made a way of escape. People all the time, they, 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 they say stuff like, man, it just doesn't seem like God is fair. If there's really heaven, if there's really hell, it just doesn't seem like God is fair to send people to hell. People could argue the same thing about Noah's Ark. It just doesn't seem like that is fair that God would wipe these people out, except for, for decades in this case, in the case of Noah, close to half a century in the case of Noah, people had been told what was coming. And now for 2,000 years, the... The people of the world have been told there is a God. His name is Jesus. Uh, God the Father sent his son Jesus to die for us, to take away our sins, to give us life. There is a judgment coming. There is a time coming when we will all stand before the throne of God and we will be judged in our bodies whether or not we knew Christ. If you had your faith in Jesus, you're called righteous. If you haven't put faith in Jesus, you're called wicked. And it is based on those things that you will be, it will be determined where you spend forever. 
There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is an end to this story coming, and the next story begins, the, the, the beginning of eternity. There is a judgment coming, but the good news is there is a way to be spared from it. In Genesis chapter 18, God himself, or, or uh, a manifestation of Jesus before he came on the earth, is talking with Abraham, and he goes, hey, look, I've heard that Sodom and Gomorrah are really wicked. I'm going to go destroy it. And Abraham goes, but, but wait a minute. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? Won't, won't you do what is fair? Abraham is pleading for God to be fair. What if they're in the city that you're about to destroy? What if there are 50 righteous people there? And God goes, for the sake of 50, I won't destroy it. But Okay, but God, don't be mad. But what if there's only 45 righteous people there? I love Abraham. Like, he doesn't just go, okay, cool, God. Nice. I get it. You know, he, he's like, seriously, you're going to go destroy the whole city? See, Abraham knew his nephew Lot lived there. And he's like, you're going to, what if there's 50 righteous people? He doesn't say, what if Lot's righteous? Like, Lot was righteous, the Bible tells us in Peter. But he, he's not like, he's not like name dropping. You know, like, my, my nephew Lot lives there with his family. Like, you know, like, he just asked in general, but what if there's 50 righteous there? God goes, I won't destroy the whole city if there's 50 righteous there. I'll spare it for the sake of the 50 righteous. Okay, God, but what if there's only 45 righteous? I won't destroy it if there's only 45. Okay, God, what if there's 40 righteous? God goes, I won't destroy the city if there's 40 righteous. Okay, don't be mad at me, God, but what if there's only 30? This is like in the Bible. God, like Abraham's like, hang on, okay, just, just checking. What if there's only 30, you know, like? You wouldn't destroy it if there was 30, like if there's just 10 less, right? And God goes, I won't destroy it if 30. And he goes, all right, be patient with me a little bit longer. What if there's only 20? You, you think that Abraham could have just jumped to the bottom number, you know? <laughs> but he, he, he's just, it, it's kind of like when you're negotiating something with somebody, you know? Can I, can I, your kids, can I stay up for 15 more minutes? Just 15. All right, all right, 15. Well, what about 20? Will you give me 20? Can, can, I just have, can I just have one cookie? Sure, you can have one and a half. You know, like, you already gave me the one. Can I, you know what I mean? You know? Uh, and so we adults do it too sometimes. We're like, it, it, I do it most when I'm hitting the snooze in the morning. It's just another nine minutes. Can I just have another nine minutes? Yeah, I, yeah, oh, yeah, another nine minutes. You know what I mean? So Abraham goes, all right, don't be mad at me. What if there's just 20? God goes, if there's 20 righteous there, I won't destroy it. And he goes, all right, last time, but what if there's just 10? If there are 10 righteous there, God says, I won't destroy it. He destroys the city because there were not 10 righteous there. But what God did is he sent two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah who removed Lot. They tried to r remove Lot. Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters, and their two future sons-in-laws. The sons-in-laws didn't believe. They thought it was hilarious. They laughed at Lot. They said, God's not going to destroy this place. They stuck around, and they died. Lot's wife looked back, and she died. She, uh, whole sermons have been taught on what it meant that Lot's wife looked back. We have no idea. She's fleeing the city, and something pauses her and makes her stay behind, and she gets caught up in it. But Lot and his two daughters, and his two daughters who turn out to be wicked, by the way, are, are, are uh, they escape. And, and Lot, Lot, the Bible says God remembered Lot, and he was righteous, and God rescued righteous Lot. And so God destroyed everybody else. God, though, made a way to be saved. There was a way. The two angels that came into town, Lot, Lot goes out to the people who are gathering around his house, very abusive people, and he says, listen, God's about to destroy this place. we got to get out. God's going to destroy it tomorrow. And they're like, oh, that's not going to happen. No one believed. 
In the story in, in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6, you take those two chapters together and you put them together, and there's a story of Rahab. And we've talked about Rahab a little bit before here in the last few months. But Rahab is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Joshua has, is getting ready to come to Jericho, this city that's guarded by these two walls. And God is getting ready to give the, the city of, of Jericho and the land of Canaan to his people, the Israelites. And Jericho is going to be the first city they're destroying. And two spies come into Jericho, and the king of Jericho, they had kings of cities, the king of the cities looking for these two spies, they duck into a prostitute's house, and they hang out with Rahab, and Rahab says, listen, she goes, we know that your God has given you this city, we know that your God is going to destroy us, promise me that when you come, you won't destroy me or my family. And they say, I tell you what, here's what we'll do. And they give her, this is the, listen, they give her a piece of scarlet rope, and they said, if you'll tie this in your window, whenever we come back, we'll see the scarlet rope, and anybody who's with you in your house will be protected by this signal, this scarlet rope, and we won't kill any of you, we'll spare you all. That's all she has to do. Hey, Rahab, we're going to come and kill everybody. Great. I've heard that that was going to happen. Please don't kill me. Okay, here's a piece of red rope. Put it in your window. And she lets them out of her window by a rope to the ground. And the Bible says that as soon as they left, she tied the rope in her window. Duh. Right? She's told them, go hide for three days. The king is going to look for you for three days. They don't come back for over a month. If you're wondering how I get that number, I can show you on Wednesday night. But they don't come back for over a month. I promise you she didn't leave her house. There are two conditions. There needs to be a red rope in your window, and if you're outside of your house, you're dead. Put the red rope in the window. Her friends are calling her up. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. I notice you haven't been prostituting anymore. How are things? <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I'm just staying home. Well, we miss you at the temple, you know? She was a temple prostitute, you know? And so, like, <laughs> y'all are like, Ryan. Like, Seriously, some, some of y'all are going, man, I don't, I don't read the Bible. I just find it boring. Read with me sometime. In my head, it's like a cartoon. It's hard to explain. People go, how do you remember the Bible so much? It's like a cartoon movie in my brain, and I'm always thinking like these. Her friend's like, what, what have you been doing? Where have you been? We haven't seen you, you know? And they come to the door. Why don't you step outside? No, I'm good. But I wanted to show you something around the corner. No, 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 it's okay. Why don't you come in? <laughs> you know? No, look, it's just right. Listen, I am not leaving my house. A month later, the, the, the Israelites come. The walls fall down. Apparently, uh, her house isn't impacted by this. They come into the house, and we don't know if she got all of her family. We don't know if she was able to convince them to come and be with her or not. But everybody in Rahab's house gets saved, and they get added to the people of God. And Rahab, by the way, is the great, 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 like 20 times grandmother of Jesus. God said, look, I'm going to bring some judgment, but here's a way to be saved. God is perfectly fair. He's perfectly just. He never brought judgment outside of warning the people that judgment was coming. And he always, always provides a way out. He always provides a way of escape. He always provides a way of rescue. He always provides a way for you to be included with his people and be called righteous. He's always done that. This isn't new. The story of Jesus is not a new story. It's it's what God has always done. It's just that the story of Jesus is the best story. Because I'm not being rescued from a city being destroyed. I'm not being rescued from a flood. I'm not being rescued just 
from my mortal body uh, falling into death. I am being rescued for eternity. I am being rescued from a temporary body to receive a glorified body. I'm being rescued from what is mortal to be rescued to something that's eternal and has life and permanence. I was talking with Angie this morning as we were working behind the coffee bar, and we were just talking about age and different things and health and fitness and whatnot. And I said, you know what? I, I've realized that I am over the hill. And she goes, yeah, but 45 is not over the hill anymore. And I was like, like, maybe not in terms of physical health. People seem to be living a little bit longer, but I'm definitely over the halfway mark. Unless something tr tragic happens to me, I, I feel like I've probably got another, you know, like 35 to 40 years. I'm over the halfway mark. I'm on, I'm on the downhill slide. It's coasting from here, you know? And eventually, eventually, you'll get a call or a text, and you'll be like, hey, did you hear about Ryan? Man, oh, he's dead. And you'll be like, what are we doing Sunday? You know? And it'll be okay, and you'll move on. But the really great thing is that whenever you get that text or the call, what you'll know, you'll be like, does anybody have his Danish recipe? That's... <laughs> That'll be, you know, those were good, you know? It's all saved on the laptop, under recipes. Contact my sister Haley. She can give it to you as well. But, but here's what you'll know. What you'll know is this, and, and, and what will enable you to feel a little bit of sense of, you know, like, I, I hope that you're laughing a little bit at my death. Um, but, you know, not in a, not in a sarcastic, mean way. Uh, but, like, when this life comes to an end for me, because of my faith in Jesus, I have been rescued from hell to eternity, from death to life, from sinfulness to righteousness. And while you're still here, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. There is a judgment coming. And if by some chance you and I, if Jesus comes back uh, tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month, and, and let's say it happens on a Sunday morning and we're just sitting here like this and Jesus comes back, it won't be like, hold on, let me finish. You know, it'll be, it, it, it's like, it's done. And we will stand before God, and those who have put their faith in God are welcomed into the kingdom of God forever, and those who have not put their faith in God are cast away from his presence into eternal destruction, the Bible says. There is a judgment coming. But God is so good and so kind that he has always provided a way of rescue, a way of escape. A way of being saved in that. Man, that's so good. Like, listen, Daniel, he wasn't, he wasn't seven or eight. He was older than that. Uh, we can talk about that Wednesday night too, but the short of it is that Daniel was leading this, the country of Babylon a year after he was taken into captivity. He wasn't an eight-year-old or nine-year-old leading the country. But Daniel was taken into captivity as a youth into Babylon. And he was there a full 13 years before the rest of the Israelites were taken into Babylon. And Daniel was in a ruling position in Babylon when the rest of the Israelites were brought to Babylon. God sent a forerunner. God sent somebody ahead to prepare the way, to make the way safe for the rest of the Israelites. Joseph was at least, uh, was at least let's see, 30, 14, um, 13. Oh, hold on, give me a second. Joseph was at least 22 years in Egypt. 
before his brothers showed up and before the Israelites came to Egypt in the book of Genesis. God sent Joseph ahead of them. He was in slavery. He was in prison. He was a captive, and then he was elevated to power. And God sent the people, sent Joseph there to make a way for the rest of the Israelites so that when they showed up in Egypt, they wouldn't be put to death. Christ came. Christ really did come. Christ is God. Jesus says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. Jesus says in John 17, he says, I pray of the church, that's us, that they would be unified and be one, Father, just as you and I are one. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, he was in the beginning with God. He was God. He was the fullness of God. Colossians chapter 2 says, he is the fullness of God's glory. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Christ is the embodiment of deity, the fullness of God's power and Christ came to save us from the coming judgment. You, you and I cannot change the story that there is a coming judgment. That's what's happening. That is what is going to happen. And listen, I had a really old pastor when I was a kid who said, it'll be in my lifetime. And he died like 30 years ago. People have been saying for 2000 years, it'll be in my lifetime. We don't know when it's coming. So instead of saying, well, it's been 2000 years, I'll wait. I'll wait to put my faith in Jesus. Instead of having that attitude, have the attitude of judgment is coming and there is a way of escape. I don't know when it is. I don't know when it is when Jesus will come again and when the, the clock, the time clock of the earth will be tapped and everything will be over. I don't know when that is, but I do know that there is judgment, condemnation, wrath, and eternal death for those who do not name the name of Jesus. But I know that God has made a way of escape. He has made a way for us to be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I have been rescued from death and brought to life. I have been rescued from sinfulness and been called righteous. I have been, I was once an enemy from God and I've been rescued from that and I've now been called a child of God. There is a rescue available for us. That brings us to our application, which I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes on, and it is this. Trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. If you're Noah and God says, build a boat, it's the way you'll be saved, you trust in that. If you're Lot and an angel shows up at your door and says, we've got to get you out of here because God's going to destroy everybody tomorrow, you trust in that. If it's the bronze serpent on the pole from Numbers 21, hey, you've been bitten by a serpent that's going to kill you, but God said if you look at this bronze snake, you'll live, trust in that. If it's, hey, I sent Daniel as a forerunner so he could be in power. If it's, hey, I sent Joseph to rescue you. If it's a scarlet cord in your window. Whatever means throughout the Bible that God gave people so they could be saved from the coming judgment, you put your confidence in that. Listen, by the way, for us, the ark is Christ. For us, the scarlet cord is Jesus. For us, the thing that rescues us from the coming judgment isn't the kind of church we attend, isn't the political party we adhere to. By the way, I, I texted Pierce and Micah yesterday. I said, I am so discouraged and so wearied by all the Christian posts on Facebook that elevate everything else except for Jesus. I said it in a different way than that. But my goodness, like everything's, Jesus is bigger. Man, like, I am, I am so weary and so worn out by the division that's happening among believers over things that are temporary. There is no political party. There is no denomination. There is nothing like that in heaven. There is Jesus on the throne. 
your political affiliation, how you invest your money, how you spend your time, whether you drink or don't drink, uh, whether you wear a collar shirt to church or you come in your shorts, nothing, none of that matters. None of that saves. Jesus saves. You, you know the guy, like in every like apocalypse, apocalypse movie that's walking around with the cardboard sign that says Jesus saves? The dude's right. That's it. That's the simplicity of it. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. There is a coming judgment. There is. Noah's Ark is, is telling us this story. It's one of the first times we see it. It's actually the second time we see it. In the whole of the scripture that God saves. He's already told Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. The day you eat of it, you will die. Here's a judgment that's set down. If you eat from this, you will die. And they ate from the tree, and the day God showed up, he saved them by taking the flesh of an animal and making garments for them and covering over their sin. God has always made a way to be saved from the judgment and for you and I and for everyone else who will ever walk the face of the earth who has ever walked the face of the earth it is Jesus Abraham put his faith in Jesus David put his faith in Jesus Daniel put his faith in Jesus Noah put his faith in Jesus all these Old Testament believers put their faith faith in the future salvation that was to come and all of us here today are putting our faith in the savior that did come but the object for all of us the, the the salvation for all of us is the same it's jesus your life is fragile i read a post the other day that said the human body is interesting and the person said i read a story of a woman who fell off the edge of a cliff fell 150 feet got up and walked away with minor scratches and bruises. Meanwhile, I tripped on a crack in the sidewalk, and now I have a broken hip. Like, right? You know, like, you, you hear these things that happen, and you're like, like, like the, the littlest thing, we, we have a joke in our home that uh, is, I looked left. I, I was wrestling with the boys. This has been about three years ago. I was wrestling with the boys. We were playing, and all of a sudden, Michelle hears me make an exclamation, a painful exclamation. She goes, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. I just looked left. Like, literally, that's all I did. I just turned my head, and then, like, everything went numb, like, down the... Anybody? <laughs> you know? You, you read of people whose parachutes don't open, and they survived, and I looked left, and the body's fragile. It's really weird and strange and crazy, but tomorrow could be it for me. And yet, I have no fear of tomorrow possibly being it for me because I have put my faith in Jesus. Yes, there's a judgment coming, but I have no fear of it because I'm in the ark. Yes, there's no fear of judgment uh, for me because I have the scarlet cord in the window. There is no fear of judgment because I have set my eyes on Jesus who is on the cross. There is no fear of judgment because I serve a resurrected Savior, the resurrected King. I have no fear of reprisal, no fear of judgment or condemnation, no fear that God will bring his hammer down on me. My goodness, how many people have had that old view of God that God is just waiting to bring his hammer down on you? Wrong. God is waiting to save you. The hammer's coming. But God is waiting to save you. To say, here's the out. Here's salvation. 
If you're in here, by the way, today, and you have never asked Christ to do that, you've never said, look, I, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Look, I, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he was raised from the dead. What do I need to do to be saved? Simple answer is believe. But if you want to talk to me about that, if you have questions about that, we need to talk. Because the Bible says we, we aren't given tomorrow. We don't know that we have tomorrow. Our life is like a breath that fades away in the wind. Second grade, I lived across the street from my elementary school. I walked to school every day. I was a goofy, always, I'm still a goofy person. I remember, you know, other kids would pretend they were smoking on cold mornings. I pretended that I was a dragon. And I'm walking across this large playground. I also pretended in the warmer months that I was a pterodactyl. We can talk about that another time. But I'm walking across the playground, and I'm like, pretending that I'm about to just incinerate all these knights, and one of them throws a bucket of water in my mouth right at the last moment, and all that comes out is this cold, you know, this breath, right? And then it blows away. That, 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 that is the consistent, that is, that is the summation, that is the totality of your whole entire life. Your breath fades away, and then the judgment. Unless when your breath fades away, you've put faith in Jesus, then there's no judgment. You're declared righteous. Here's our prayer today, and here's what I want you to take a moment to think on, because our prayer might not apply to you. Our prayer is, we thank you, God, for salvation through Christ. You might not be able to do that yet. You might not be able to thank God for the salvation that you've received through Christ. You might not have yet put your faith in Jesus. You might not yet have called upon the name of God to be saved. Today's the day for that. Psalm 95, 7 and 8 says, Today is the day of salvation. If you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. I'm going to, uh, when Micah leads us again, I'm going to walk right here into the back. If you just want to come and talk to me, if you just want to know what it means to be saved, come and visit with me. But if you are someone who has already put your faith in Jesus, you have that settled in your heart, you know my faith rests in the cornerstone. My faith rests in Christ alone. On Christ alone, I stand. On Christ alone, I put my trust. In Christ alone, I put all of my confidence. If you know that, then your prayer today is, God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your rescue through Jesus Christ. If you don't know that, let's get it nailed down. Let's deal with it today. Because our lives are fleeting. Take a moment right where you are just to spend some time in prayer, would you please? God, you are good. You're kind, you're just, you're fair, you're gracious, you're merciful. 
Every time, Lord, there's ever been a judgment that you've brought, you've brought rescue first. Thank you, God, for the rescue of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our way of righteousness, our way of escape. God, as you indicate in your scripture, you have marked us. You have sealed us with Jesus. Those of us who have put faith in Jesus are free from condemnation, free from judgment, free from wrath. We've been rescued, God, from sin and declared righteous and holy. What a blessing. What a rich treasure we have in you, Lord God. God, if there is anybody in this room who has never named the name of Jesus, who has never asked Christ to save them, who has never put their faith in you, for rescue, I pray that today would be the day. God, that we would celebrate it, that we'd be able to rejoice with one another, that we'd be able to proclaim your goodness again in this place. God, you are a good and gracious God. And we thank you that you love us so much that you've provided a way of escape, a way of rescue. We thank you for Jesus, who is your son, fully God, fully righteous, fully holy who laid down his life to bear away our sins, who was raised from the dead to give us the hope of everlasting life. We pray, God, that we would worship you 